0: Welcome to the B20 Podcast, Road to G20 and B20 Summit. This podcast is brought to you by B20 Indonesia 2022 Organizing Committee, supported by Astra International, Bayan Resources, Indica Energy, Sinar Mas, Bakri, Ha M. Samporna, Bank Central Asia.
1: Good day everyone, and welcome to the B20 Podcast, which is part of the Road to B20 and G20 Summit program. Uh, You're back again with me, Johannes Lukiman from Kadin, Indonesia. And today we'll talk more in depth about the Integrity and Compliance Task Force, uh, one of the task forces in B20 Indonesia. And I think integrity and compliance is a very important issue to be addressed, not only in Indonesia but across all G20 countries because compliance and integrity are fundamental to business operations, especially amidst the pandemic. Now, let me greet... Pak Haryanto Budiman, the Chair of the Integrity and Compliance Task Force, as well as the Managing Director of PT Bank Sentral Asia, better known as BCA. Pak Haryanto, how are you? Uh, fine, thank you. Pak Haryanto, I just want to share with the audience that actually, this is not the first time that we've met. We've known each other for quite a long time now. It's been a privilege to know you for 15 years and uh, through our careers as consultants and bankers and such, we've become very familiar with the topic of integrity and compliance. So, Paharianto was actually selected as the task force chairman with that in mind, his expertise. And so, just to start it off, Paharianto, can we start with your view on what the role of integrity and compliance is in the business world in Indonesia today?
0: Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Pahans. Uh, First of all, as you know, right, the B20 is a very active engagement group of G20. And clearly, integrity and compliance is is an integral part of any uh, dealing uh, with with business, particularly dealing with government amongst the business community as well. And for us in the uh, B20, particularly in my task force on integrity and compliance, we are primarily focusing on three areas. The three areas that are highly relevant business as well. The first one is we continue to, uh, to, to support the anti-corruption effort that is currently ongoing globally. I think that is quite important for us to be on board because corruption, as you know, is a, is a, is a crime that impacts every aspect of human's life. The second one is to uh, basically strengthen organizational governance. This is also a very important topic uh, where we want to make sure that we minimize and avoid any conflict of interest that actually exists in companies. The third one, as you know, in the new normal, the issues of anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing becomes very, very important. So those are the three things that, that we are actually going to focus on. And I think those three areas are highly relevant to what we are doing as a business community here because we want to continue the business and follow best practices and uh, doing business the right way with uh, integrity and compliance. And in particular, uh, anti-corruption effort is actually one of the top priority
1: for what we're doing now. Mm. Pak Haryanto, for the benefit of the viewers, would you please tell us what the role is of the Integrity and Compliance Task Force in the B20, the composition of the task force itself, and what the key priorities or targets are that this task force is trying to achieve during this B20 presidency, Pak Harianto?
0: Yeah, uh, v- very good questions and quite relevant. Um, The task force itself is led by the chair. I'm actually the chair of the task force. I'm assisted by my deputy, Paolo carta from Bank BNI. And then we are also assisted by seven co-chairs. They are coming from countries within G20. So if you look at our uh, co-chairs, there are seven of them. One is an academic professor. We actually have somebody from Basel Institute on Governance and also people coming from companies. Typically, they are chief compliance officers in many of the companies that are operating within the G20 countries. For example, we have somebody from Novartis that Mm. is actually chief compliance officer in Novartis and also in many other uh, uh, companies as well. They're coming not just from mature markets, they're also coming from emerging markets. Mm. because the idea is we want to have a, a, a blended view about this issue As you know, issues of integrity and compliance is addressed in a different way depending on the maturity of the countries. Of course, in the US and Europe, these issues are uh, already addressed in a much more holistic way. But in many emerging markets, this is still something that that needs uh, uh, to be addressed. And then there are about 105 senior executives joining our task force coming from 28 countries and they're coming also from 18 industries. So not just coming from financial, but also from manufacturing, from pharmaceutical, and other industries as well.
1: The uh, designed composition, if you will, of the task force is very impressive. And with this composition of the task force, could you share on the key priorities that you're trying to achieve during the course of this B20 progress?
0: Yeah, actually, we have actually four, four areas that we want to focus on. The first one is to promote sustainable governance in business to support ESG initiatives. ESG, as you know, is becoming very, very important right now. The second one is to foster collective action initiatives to alleviate integrity risk. Mm. The third one is to foster agility to counteract measures, particularly to combat money laundering and terrorist financing risk. And the last one is about strengthening governance to mitigate exacerbated uh, cybercrime risk. Those are the four areas that we are actually uh, going to put forward in our policy recommendations.
1: I think uh, that's why it's so useful to have actual business people involved, right, in helping form these policy recommendations, because academic contributors are useful, but business participants are really the ones who drive the actual formulation of policy and industry. And in regards to, you know, your key priorities, during the ongoing pandemic, we see a push, we see a pressure for businesses to transform, to be more digitally enabled, and to adapt to the changing environment. Can you tell us a little bit about how the task force has uh, opined on this?
0: Yeah, um, as you know, right, we have been transforming into a digital world for quite some time. The pandemic accelerated that. So we have to be able to work from home companies will have to let the, com- the, the employees actually uh, spend time at home and rely on the employees to uphold integrity while working at home as well. And that actually carries additional risk. Risk of, for example, cybercrime. And cybercrime is actually a risk that is highly relevant for integrity and compliance as well. Because if, for example, a company system is being attacked and customer data is actually breached or you know, they actually steal customer transaction information. Uh, The information can be used for illicit activities, even for insider trading, if they, for example, uh, uh, steal uh, financial information of companies. So this is actually something very, very important. Unfortunately, many people are unaware of this risk. A lot of the employees, if you talk to many, many employees in many companies, they don't really realize how severe the problem can be. Right? because to prevent any cyber attack, you need to really educate the employees to ensure that they really understand the risk. The second thing, many companies also, they are reluctant to invest in strengthening the cyber security because it is money that is a lot, right? You need to invest, and the payback may not be that clear, because you are protecting your system. But that's exactly what happens. So I think for us, this is actually very, very important to really protect the system, uh, particularly during the new era. That's why cybercrime is one of the areas that we're actually focusing on.
1: Mm. So, of course, during the ongoing pandemic, we've seen increased pressure and urges for business to transform, to be more digitally enabled, to adapt to the changing environment. Could you share with us how this has impacted cybersecurity risk and what some of the key challenges are that countries, companies, and organizations are facing in mitigating cybersecurity threats?
0: Yeah, that is a highly uh, interesting question because uh, when we talk to people, first we did the survey. Uh, the survey unfortunately didn't put cyber as one of the top risks. I see. Because apparently many people, again, all the companies that we survey, they are not really aware how severe the problem is. Right? From from the banking standpoint, we know how important, of course, cybersecurity is. So for us, it's actually bread and butter. We understand how how severe the implication can be if a bank is being attacked. Uh, But again, first is awareness. So awareness is still an issue that uh, many companies are not aware of the risk. Employees are not aware. So sometimes they get spam email, they open the attachment, and the attachment contain virus or malware that actually can infect uh, the whole system. Uh, The third one is actually investment. Many companies are still reluctant to invest a lot of money to strengthen their cybersecurity. Why? Because the payback is not very clear, right? If you open a factory, it's very clear. The return on investment is going to be X percent. But if you invest money on cybersecurity, it's not clear because uh, there is no real payback,
1: mm.
0: right? It's not apparent, but you are actually protecting your system. And cyber is a very, very big, big topic right now because uh, uh, criminals, they try to penetrate the systems and then steal customer information, customer transaction data, uh, data, as well as financial information of companies. And
1: that can be used for any illicit activities. Mm, I see, I see. Um, If we could shift gears a little bit, um, integrity compliance is not only about risk management in terms of a culture sense, as you mentioned, in terms of risk awareness, but also actually preventing crimes. Right. So how has COVID-19 pandemic affected the state of predicate crimes? and what ways have predicate crimes increased or decreased during the COVID-19 pandemic, Pak Yeah,
0: very interesting, few things. Uh, first of all, uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we, we, we have to work at home. That's point number one. So the fact of the matter that we actually have to work from home, uh, criminals can come in and try to, for example, terrorists can easily try to gather money
1: mm.
0: by sending an email to you. They know you're working at home saying that, look, uh, we need some uh, money for charity purpose. Because there is a COVID-19 pandemic, please donate some money for charity purpose. Actually, it is not from, for charity purpose. It is actually for terrorist financing. Uh, the second thing that can happen is, as you know, during the pandemic, a lot of companies are in trouble and they need additional capital to grow their business. And money laundering can easily take place there because people that need to launder money, they, they, they inject uh, capital into that particular company and then uh, hoping that at some point after some layering done, they can integrate the illicit money again back into the into the into normal uh, uh, money. But, but that's exactly what happened. So we tend to be a bit more relaxed during the pandemics. We tend to accept the fact that, oh yeah, you, you, you are working at home. We are not working at the office. We are a bit relaxed and we don't realize that criminals actually use that kind of situation to their advantage.
1: I see, it's a bit worrying to know that people are letting their guards down when in fact they should be more vigilant than ever. Uh, that's a very interesting uh, answer. Thank you, Pahariyato. Uh, moving on to the next question. If you could share with us some of the key challenges that governments and institutions face in mitigating money laundering and the terrorist financing which you mentioned just now, which are forms of predicate crimes. Yeah. First of all,
0: um, when we studied the state of each of the countries within G20, to be honest with you, we are all in a different Mm -hmm. level. There are countries that are very, very advanced when it comes to anti-money laundering in which they have the financial intelligence unit in place and they have the process and procedures in place as well. And then the financial intelligence unit is able to do many, many things to actually uh, prevent money laundering and terrorist financing from happening. There are also countries with financial intelligence unit in which it is still at early stage in terms of development. So this is actually the challenge, challenge number one. It's basically the country at a different level of evolution when it comes to setting up the right infrastructure to prevent AML and, and CTF, counter-terrorist financing. The second thing is uh, the fact that the, there is actually still limited interaction between financial intelligence unit in one country with the financial intelligence unit in another country. Yes. Right? exchange of information is still very, very small, not, not that significant. This is actually important to be addressed, particularly for transnational crime. As you know, it's getting more common for people to use cryptocurrency, yeah. for example, in which this is very, very important for exchange of information between one financial intelligence unit with another. The third challenge actually is the fact that not only the countries are different, the industry are also different. Right. Banking, for example, is very strict because we have to follow the rules and regulations very clearly when it comes to AML and CTF. And this is the rules that we have to follow. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're talking about other industries, particularly smaller companies, commercial segment as well as SME and even micro segment, they are not really well equipped to actually do this of stuff. And it will be too expensive also for them to really use the same methodology and the same process that is currently being impl- implemented in banks. So those are the three things that we need to, to actually watch out for. First, again, the first one is countries at a different level of evolution, maturity, for example, in, in AML. Uh, the second one is uh, the fact that um, cross-border information sharing is still lacking, which is actually very, very needed now in the new normal with crypto and, and other uh, transaction that's happening. The third one, again, is the fact that different industry actually are quite
1: different in terms of handling uh, AML and CTF. Mm. And I think exactly what you mentioned, point number one, about countries being at a different stage in maturity is exactly why B20 is so important for Indonesia, right? Because this is one of those forms of communication yep. where knowledge and experience and procedures get shared. So thank you for that, Baharianto. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about what's going to happen after the B20 summit is finished. What will the legacy of the integrity and compliance task force be? What will the legacy be that you leave for the public and future B20 cycles, Pak Aryanto?
0: Yeah, uh, this is a very important uh, uh, thing that we want to leave behind, right? Which is our legacy. Uh, For us in the B20 integrity and compliance, we work very closely with the anti-corruption working group at the G twenty. And also we work with other stakeholders as well. So, Pahans, for your info, we actually have consulted with so many stakeholders throughout the process. And from the consultation that happened, we come up with two things that we might want to do. The first one is relevant particularly for Indonesia, is we would like to strengthen the audit committee at the board. I see. Okay, to ensure, to ensure that companies actually are implementing all the rules and regulations properly to prevent any illicit activities that can happen. And in order to do that, they also need to strengthen the compliance function. Right. In banks, as you know, there is a compliance department, of course. Right? there's a compliance director even. But in other companies, there may not be a compliance officer. So we need to strengthen the compliance function as well. That is the first thing that we want to, to push forward as one of the legacy. Maybe relevant in countries that are not yet mature compared to, for example, advanced countries. The second one is related to ESG. Right. Right. There are talks right now about how important ESG is. Uh, ESG, as you know, is, uh, uh, is being looked at by investors when right, they want to right. invest Absolutely. in companies. They don't just look at the financials. They also look at whether the company is implementing ESG the right way. And there has to be a metric that is actually universal and common across, across the globe, basically. Just like the IFRS, yes, of course. an accounting standard. So we discussed with our stakeholders as well, and uh, uh, particularly the uh, IFAC, International Federation of Accountants. And for Indonesia, we discussed with IAI. Mm. And we're trying to actually use this platform of B20 to push forward a uh, new standard, new framework for ESG. So that when we have this standard, uh, hopefully, when investor wants to evaluate companies, they can evaluate the financials, of course, and also how the ESG implementation in the right way, uniform across the globe. So
1: that's actually what we are trying to push mm. forward. Uh, that's very interesting, Parianto. So equally, in my task force in digitalization, we've heard ESG become more and more of a hot topic. So I'm very impressed that Integrity and Compliance has decided to make this a a legacy item for the future. And I think indeed in future B20 cycles, definitely people will be able to use this as a valuable asset and resource in, uh, in their own task force discussions. So let's bring it more to what B20 means for the public. In terms of the tangible benefits for the public in B20 countries, how will they benefit from the work that your task force is doing during Indonesia's B20 Presidency, Pak Haryato? Yeah, I think
0: for us, it's very clear. We are not interested in just developing policy recommendations. They are not implementable. We want impact, right? That's why the way we do work in our task force is we always consult with relevant stakeholders. I see. So we have stakeholders internally, domestically in Indonesia, as well as international stakeholders. Because like I mentioned earlier, every country in G20, they are at a different level of maturity when it comes to integrity and compliance. And I would like to see public participation as well. We will organize a number of events, including online events and also site events. For example, there's going to be Uh, a site event in Medan in October, in which we will bring in experts of integrity and compliance. Some of our co-chairs will be flying to Indonesia, to Medan, and we will organize like a two-day event in which we talk about issue of corruption, issues of uh, ESG in that uh, particular forum as well, and how we address money laundering, terrorist financing, how we address the issues on crypto, how to minimize the illicit transactions using crypto and so on and so forth. So we're still finalizing the agenda, but that will be a great forum for public to actually attend and listen because it will be actually uh, accessible by public. So for us, the more people understand the importance of this topic, the better it is. But mm-hmm. for us, again, we are not interested in developing very documents. I think we can do that easily. What we care most is actually the impact. Mm. what impact it has, and the legacy we leave behind. So that's basically how, how we mm. look at it.
1: Thank you. I think that ties into your previous point about the importance of awareness and risk culture, right? So with the events, my takeaway is that you're educating, you're raising awareness, but also giving an opportunity to participate. That's fantastic. And I, I believe that you know business community participation will be very important in the success of the B20 uh, presidency of Indonesia. So. In this sense, how do business communities outside of, you know, the membership of the B20 task force, in your case, uh, integrity and compliance, how can they contribute to, you know, this great B20 Indonesia presidency and how can they show their support, Pak Haryanto? Oh, uh,
0: we welcome uh, participation, actually. Uh, They're welcome to follow our website and they're welcome to provide inputs as well. And like uh, I mentioned earlier, whenever we have a side event, please come and participate and provide some feedback to us. Because we want something that is um, very, very clear and implementable that people actually realize this is something that is close to their heart rather than something that is too theoretical that will not have any, any relevance to what they're doing. So welcome participation from anybody. Uh, join, join our, 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 uh, our side events. And, you know, and you will hopefully learn something.
1: Wow, fantastic. Pak it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, thank you for this comprehensive discussion and not only explaining what the task force is about, you know, the key priorities, the key topics, the key challenges, but also helping people to realize that they can participate both in, as a private individual and business organizations as well. So um, today, indeed, compliance and integrity-based operations have always been a critical concern and challenges for business seeking to optimize values while attaining long-term sustainability. So dear listeners, find out more about B20 Indonesia from our website at www.b20indonesia2022.org and you can find our other podcast episodes where we will talk in depth about Indonesia's B20 priorities with top executives from leading global companies and institutions.